Blog Talk Radio. Joanne, how's it going? Oh, it's going, honey bunny. Yourself? Oh, it it went, I think. So what's up? <laughs> it came and went, right? <laughs> it came and went. Oh, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Well, we have a great show right. tonight. Um, a lot of people have been saying they're having a tough time with, uh, you know, just everything, with everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, we have uh, a... Um, uh, a great guest on tonight that's going to help us out with that. His name is Scott, and um, he's wonderful. Um, I'm trying to log into the show, guys. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, Scott is here to help everybody out. If they have any questions, he can help you out. And also um, he uh, is giving away free sessions, 10-minute sessions during this craziness. If anybody's interested, uh, we'll get more information from him uh, uh, when he gets on with us. Is he on hold, by the way? or He's on the air right now. Okay, well, let's uh, right. say thank you to our sponsors, the High Farm Bistro in Garfield, New Jersey, Precious Mermaid Video in Kittners, Pennsylvania, KWV Wine, South Africa, Tease for the Times in Clifton, New Jersey. So... We have uh, somebody calling me. However, it's not who I want it to be. <laughs> it's, my son, my, it's my son. <laughs> my son is calling me. Anyway, so we have with us tonight, Mr. Oh, Jesus, come on. What is going on here, guys? I apologize. What is going on? Come on. Oh, Scott, we have so Scott, Scott Silverman. Yes, thank hey, you, Scott, Scott Silverman. Hey, hey guys. Hi, Joanne. How are you? Hi, Scott. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to get uh, on to the show. I'm having difficulty. We thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, how you been during all this craziness? Well, you know, I'm at that uh, sensitive uh, age, so um, I took the advice that was given early on. So I've literally been homebound for going on six weeks now. So, oh, wow. I've gotten um, an opportunity to experience uh, my wife in a way I haven't in a long time, and she me. (laughs) So, you know, the other day she forgot my name, so I wore a name tag for a day just to remind her. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm doing great. 
I'm doing Good. great. Why don't you tell everybody about you? It's Scott Silverman. He is a crisis coach and family navigator. Tell us how you got started doing that. Well, I couldn't find work, Joanne, so I I, I just made something up. No, I uh, I grew up here in San, I grew I grew up here in San Diego, still here in San Diego, California. You know, America's finest city, we like to call it. And I, you know, I work backwards. I, I as you said, I'm a crisis coach, and I am a family navigator. And what that means is I help families who have loved ones who have issues with whether it's behavioral or it's uh, around self medication. Uh, addiction issues, maybe drinking too much, maybe self-medicating too much, maybe out of control, maybe yeah. just having a hard time how right. to process right. what, what's going on in the world. So right. that's what I do today. And I uh, run an outpatient program here in San Diego called Confidential Recovery. And uh-huh. I'm going to give my number out r- real yeah. quick. So I want people to know that you can call me directly and you mm-hmm. can text me directly, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Most of my coaching is done by phone. So you reach me at 619-993-2738, 619-993-2738. And, and as you stated, um, I'm giving away 10-minute free coaching sessions between now until we get back to whatever the new normal is. And uh, they are free. And yeah. free is my second favorite F word. So I, I like yeah. saying it as often as I can. And right. I want people to know that there's hope and help and whatever is going on right now, you know, there's no reason to be at home alone. And if you're right. hearing this, you know, call and text me, know that we're on a different time zone, but if I don't pick up, you leave a voicemail for me, or you can just go onto my website, yourcrisiscoach.com, and you can email me. And I promise you, I'll get back to you within 24 hours at least. So going back a little further, uh, I'm a guy in long-term recovery. I have a little over 35 years of continuous sobriety. What that means is I haven't had a drink or drug in 35 years. I actually got sober back in 1984. Thank you. uh, November, which was the 13th. And Mm -hmm. I have been involved ever since I got sober in finding ways to help others. And for the last eight years, I've been involved with coaching and substance abuse treatment, but I was not trained for this. I'm not a clinician. I'm not a doctor. I'm just somebody who experientially and anecdotally has um, bumped my head a lot and figured out what not to do, and I help families get to the best and highest level of care. So going back a little further than that, I, I ran a nonprofit for about 18 years working with people coming out of jail and prison. And I offered them alcohol and drug-free housing and helped them get back on their feet and get back to work. Prior to that, I was in a family business, a retail clothing business. And prior to that, um, I was getting loaded every day, (laughs) you know, drinking, drugging, cocaine. And uh, I'm a retired, I have to say retired now. My attorney advised me. I'm a retired, unlicensed pharmacist. So I I have a lot of experience. Uh, on what the drug seeker is looking for and what the substance abuser wants. And more importantly, I understand the mindset of what it's like when you get to a point in your life and everything in your mind is not working. And in 1984, before I went into treatment, um, I attempted to take my own life. So I understand trauma. I also understand untreated trauma. 
Uh, I understand depression, anxiety. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I was a kid with ADHD. I still have it, actually. And as I get older, I have like an eight-second attention span now. So you better get your points across, Joanne. Otherwise, you're going to have to keep repeating them. <laughs> I tried. I tried. So, I couldn't get into the show. I tried. <laughs> that's okay. Your phone's ringing. You're busy. It's Sunday. You know, you should get get a call and text your son. Make sure he knows you're okay. No, it's so, fine. You know, it's fine. I, you know, I don't think I really need to go into my drunk log and some of the details. But, I, you know, I, I got clean and sober uh, the traditional way, whatever that's defined as. Um, and I also learned and it, being in the treatment world, that one size does not fit all, meaning people always – I he, hear families say, well, you know, they really this or they really that. I said, look, if you broke your leg, you wouldn't go on YouTube. You would go to the emergency room. So if you have a loved one who is under the influence and drinking a case of beer a day or drinking a quart of vodka every couple hours, or you see that they're taking edibles or they're, you know, smoking heroin – or they're taking methamphetamine in their body, they're exposed today to a variety of different substances that are much more dangerous just because they're more pure and because they're also cut with things like fentanyl and carfentanil today. And when you look at the opioid crisis that we have going on, you know, I've been calling it actually a pandemic for about four years now, and I'm a, I'm a subject matter expert, which means, you know, I've read as much as I can, and I've talked about it and spoke to law enforcement U.S. attorney and the DEA, the Department of Justice, treatment providers and clinicians, doctors, psychiatrists, trying to find out how is the best way to help somebody. And what I've learned is, you know, again, one size does not fit all. That's why I got into coaching because I found that most families make the phone call, not the person with the problem. Mm -hmm. And what they don't understand is, I love this person. They're a good person. Why does this keep happening? Well, mm. I liken, and I call it a disease, disease of addiction. And when I talk to people, I try to explain my analogy is it's just like diabetes from the standpoint of some of us have it, some of us don't. Right. So if you believe that you have a loved one who might have a disease, to find a treatment for it. I mean, with, with diabetes, it's simple. You go see your doctor, they do the test, and they make recommendations for treatment and recovery. And it's a lifelong practice. It doesn't take a lot of time every day. And that's why I really believe there's help and hope. And right now, the opioid crisis, that's prescription medication and street heroin, street opioids, are killing nearly 200 people a day in our country, 200 a day. And that doesn't include alcohol, methamphetamine, or suicide or other things that people are doing or having happen to them. I'm not even talking about other diseases like cancer and, you know, other situations well, that come up from a health perspective. Well, Scott, let me Go ask ahead. you, now, now that the government has basically told people who really need pain medication that no one can have it now and people are making synthetic stuff at home and selling it, it has the death rates gone up or down in your, in your opinion or well, you know, first of all, you make a, a really good point because opioids serve a great niche of medication. I mean, two years ago, the FDA approved OxyContin for 12-year-olds and under. For certain circumstances, OxyContin is a terrific tool, just like legalized marijuana. Marijuana is a good tool 
Uh, so the bottom line is the science showed, though, long-term pain treatment for, with OxyContin was not effective. So what happened was they swung the other way. So people who have been utilizing it under prescription, under a doctor's care, all of a sudden now they've been asked to go to yoga. You know? Yeah, don't worry, I know. Don't worry about the OxyContin. So I think, I think that was wrong, the way that happened. And you're absolutely, absolutely right. P- people who, who have prescriptions or did that are no longer either getting them or they're getting a smaller dosage amount or they're getting it for a shorter period of time, what they're doing is they're substituting and they're going out and there are people who are making, you know, heroin cut with fentanyl and heroin cut with carfentanil, methamphetamine cut with fentanyl, and then there's all the, you know, the fake medication out there. Right. That people right. are taking, thinking it's, you know, under the influence. Um, you know, they're, oh, that's a Xanax. No, no, that is Xanax cut with fentanyl. And that right. kind of medication out there today is not helpful for anybody because you don't know what you're getting. The street no. drugs don't, don't have a quality assurance label or a warning label attached to them. Right. So all of this medication out there today that is just not real medication, it's being manufactured out of someone's garage, um, is harmful, and it's part of what's contributing to the overdosing that we're seeing and the morbidity yeah. rate increasing, especially with young people. I think it's making it worse by what they did. But anyway, so let me ask you now, with everything that's going on, <clears throat> uh, not to mention names, obviously, but with everything that's going on, what kind of cases are you getting now when people call you? Are, are, are people drinking more because of what's happening? Are they, are they doing drugs because of what's happening? Or... I mean, are you getting a lot of calls in relation to the the situation that the country's in right now because of the coronavirus? Well, there's there's a couple things that are happening. First of all, because um, the person who's early in recovery, for example, one of the things you're you're never supposed to do is be alone, <laughs> and so many people are homebound right now. You know, right. there are tremendous there's a tremendous amount of things happening online with Zoom and you know, people that are getting on to the Internet and going to meetings. But there's a lot of people out there who don't have access, if you will, to a computer. It's amazing. It still happens, but it's out there. Nice. So there's the person who is have, who's struggling in early recovery who may have decided, well, you know, I'm just going to wait till after this pandemic, and then I'll go get some help. So that's a problem. The person right. who was in treatment is now leaving treatment <laughs> because they don't want to get the virus, which is fascinating when you think about it. I had somebody call me last week and he said, you know, Scott, I, I left AMA against medical advice. I was in an inpatient program. My mom told me about you and I just didn't want to get the virus. And we're talking for a few more minutes. So I said, so you've been shooting heroin for the last two years trying to kill yourself, but all of a sudden now you're in an inpatient environment and you're concerned about the virus. I said, right. okay. So, all right, so you left. What do you want? You know, what are you willing to do now? So I gave him some, you know, information about some meetings. You can actually, anyone can go online and say, where can I find an online recovery meeting? So it's not that hard. If you're hearing my voice, the odds are you probably have, a, you know, a smartphone or access to a computer. So to, to answer the second part of your question, overdoses are continuing. People who used to be binge drinkers, okay, who are at home now, are binge drinking every day. Now what's right. happening is now they've actually got become an abusive drinker 
or they've actually accelerated their intake. So what's going to happen is when people start going back into the world and have to start functioning in whatever they were doing before, whether it's school, work, relationships, volunteerism, they're going to come out of this event and they're going to be uh, more addicted to the substances that were maybe just part of their life that have become more of a daily life piece. So I think we're going to see a significant amount of individuals who are going to be seeking, I hope, seeking help. We're also going to see the morbidity rate going up because more people will be taking their own lives. I mean, it's already happening now. Every crisis hotline in the country is overwhelmed. People talking about suicide. Domestic violence is up higher than it's ever been. But I was going to you ask can't you, make a phone call. Are you getting a lot of calls? Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of calls in relation to uh, domestic violence now because people are up. I don't personally. I don't person. I don't personally get those calls. What I get is somebody say, you know, my husband is drinking all the time. He's screaming and yelling, and, and that's that, that's technically a, a, a cry for help, and that would be defined potentially as domestic violence. But what's happening is the victim, they can't make a phone call because everybody's home. Right. You know, right. there's no yeah. there's no office phone. And, and so if you can't go to your office or you can't leave the house or, you know, you're a, you're a parent with children at home, it's really difficult. And the courts are shut down right now. So right. it's really hard. I mean, the courts here in California, they're handling domestic violence. But, you know, if you're a batterer, you know, you're battering someone and you're the victim, how are you going to make a phone call with your significant right. other at home? So it's going unreported. But, you know, I'm, I, and I talk to a lot of different people in law enforcement and also in the treatment community, so I know the calls are out there. I mean, I've but gotten the, more calls in the last week, I think, than I did in the last four weeks prior to. So I know it's escalating, and I also, you know, and I'm on Zoom calls with professionals in this business who are overwhelmed with the trauma that they're dealing with, with clients who they can't see. For example, I talked to this psychiatrist, and he has a, a client who's bipolar, and he's paranoid schizophrenic. Right. And he says, I can't keep him on the phone for more than two minutes. So the mm. fact that I cannot see my clients and they can't see me is creating even more havoc for everybody. Unfortunately, it's a, you know, an unscheduled outcome of what's happening with, you know, with the stay-at-home issue and with the crisis. So people aren't getting the kind of care that they need and they don't really even have access. Now, telehealth's become a big business. A lot of people are on the phone. Uh, I'm, I'm Zooming with potential clients. I did a um, FaceTime with somebody recently as well. And it's a great tool, but it's, uh, it's not the same as someone sitting with somebody, reading their body language, and giving them a hug after a session. But those are things we can't do right now. So you do the best you can with what you've got. Right. Any any idea what the main root causes, what the causes of the uh, suicide calls are related to? Is it because of money? Uh, I mean, the fact that people are, or you don't know the details of why they're calling for suicide. Well, there's a there's a phrase I like, Joanna. I call it pressure bust pipes. So what's mm-hmm. happening is people are just under a, an extreme amount of pressure. They're homebound. They can't go out. Their daily routine has been either disrupted or interrupted, or they've been asked to stay at home. Um, families who, who are, are highly dysfunctional don't get functional in crises. They usually get more dysfunctional. So I yeah, think I, whatever was going on before, it's just been amplified. And the person right. who self-medicates historically does more of that when they have more in front of them they cannot process. 
So it's just a matter of, you know, it's just like when it's hot out, if you don't have air conditioning, how are you going to get comfortable? You're going to do the best you can, but if it's really hot out, it doesn't matter what you do, you're still going to be miserable if you don't like heat. So it's one of those kind of things that it's, it's an organic outcome of just all of the, it's a perfect storm. Right. So what kind of advice uh, can you offer or guidance can you offer to our listeners in regard to people who are really having a tough time handling this, whether emotionally, physically, uh, alcoholic, drug-wise, I mean, anything. I mean, what can you advise these people what they should be doing right now? I mean, I'm cool with it because I'm kind of a, a homebody anyway. The only thing I don't mm-hmm. like is, is, is working from home is killing me. I can't stand that. So, but right. I'm getting used to it. It's difficult, but I'm getting used to it. But everything else is pretty much status quo. I mean, I'm 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 okay, you know. Well, and because you're used to it, but I'll bet there are days where you wish you could just, you know, get on your bike or get on your car and drive to your favorite whatever restaurant, movie you know, uh, food resource, Costco, Home Depot, you know, bowling, well, you know, meeting friends. I am, I am doing that. I mean, entertainment may be out of the loop, but I'm going out for walks. I take my dog for a walk. I go to the store. I have to get yeah. things. Well, I don't understand. No, Nobody is chained to their home here, Scott. I mean, you just well, can't I, be one of a lot of people. That's yeah, what I'm saying. I I'm, think I'm, I'm fine with this. Yes, I go to the store. I come home. That's it. That's what I would normally do. <laughs> you know. Well, and, and that's great. Hey, and you're lucky you're taking it. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Now, you got all sure. these people at home with, uh, you know, all these problems and everything, and they're watching the daily um, briefing on um, oh, right. TV with all these, uh, you know, statistics of people dying here and there and everybody, you know, the world's going to end. You know, what what do you tell these people? Because they're basically scared. They don't want to go anywhere. Uh, they're afraid right. they're going right. to die, you know. Uh, so how and do they cope? How do you help someone? And all the misinformation no, that's given. I mean, how did he, how does somebody handle that who is not of normal mind or whatever? I mean, you know, I mean, come on. Sensible well, let, let me go back to your, your, your question, Joanne. I would say that the, the highest and best advice I could give somebody, and this is what I tell everyone, that, you know, if someone calls me, what happens is just us having a few-minute phone conversation is a, is a lifeline. So I, what I suggest to people is get on the phone. Talk to your family and friends. And if you can't talk to your family or friends because things have just happened where you can't or you're uncomfortable or you're embarrassed or you don't know what to say to them, there are a variety of things that you can do online. There are crisis hotlines all over this country right now. And people will take your phone calls now and they will talk with you. And the fact that you're just reaching out to somebody else, to me, is how you start the process of mm-hmm. a feeling less alone, and also by speaking with somebody else, you'll start to realize you know you're not alone. There's other people out there experiencing the same thing you are. They can't go to work. So Joanne, to your point about how your level of comfortability is high, what's interesting is, and I'm going to use my city as an example. Every major restaurant and bar is just closed. It's closed. Okay. Okay. You, you, you can't. You cannot go out and sit in a social environment where you did before. 
there's no retail outlet right now other right. than the essential businesses for food. So there's no um, malls. There's no places to go. Yeah, and You have online shopping. If you have a you know, shopping then then you can shop online. <laughs> well, it, well, no, but, 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 I, but let's keep going here a second. Schools are closed. So yes. kids are home months early. So, and, and I don't want to paint a picture, you know, because you watch the news, that'll say all that. So if you're finding yourself at home, and most of us are, my suggestion is just get on the phone, call some. Look, call me, 619-993-2738. Let's talk. I mean, this is part of what I do for my own recovery. I have a saying, and it's said a lot in the, in the, the recovery rooms, you can't keep it if you don't give it away. So when I see a strange number in my phone, I get excited because for me, you know, my new campaign this year is I call it funeral avoidance. I don't want to go to any more funerals. And substance abuse, mental health issues, untreated trauma, PTSD, there is treatment for that. So if you're the three hardest words I think most people have and are incapable of saying easily is I need help. So if you're able to say I need help, and you get on the phone and you call somebody or text somebody or email somebody or just not sit with it by yourself, you have a shot of releasing that pressure and some of that pain. And, you know, once you've made that phone call and you start talking to somebody, it is amazing how you can, you know, get that pressure release valve and release some of that. And if you do a little bit each day, you'll start to feel better. You know, you can certainly meditate. You can certainly connect with your faith-based community. You can write. You can read. You can watch goofy, funny movies on TV. You can watch Mary Poppins again. You know, there's lots of great stuff out there. So even the network, I mean, some of the cable networks are offering, you know, Netflix and, and Showtime are offering, you know, free services right now if you're, if you're already connected to them cable-wise. So there's a lot of things you can do, but when you're feeling paralyzed and you're in pain, yeah, you're now, crippled now, you, uh, emotionally. Yeah, what about John's question? What, what do you tell those guys? I mean, you know. You people that are home alone, get the same thing. Yeah, and, 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 hearing, and hearing doom and gloom and, and, you know, I mean, and they're scared well, for, I, I would say turn, for their lives. I would say turn it off for a while. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. You know, that news is going to be there. Just change the channel. Don't turn it on. And I, it's, look, it's hypnotizing. It's addictive. And I suggest people just turn off the TV you know, go for a walk, do what you do, take your dog with you, um, you know, go to your store that you haven't been to in a while. I mean, take care of yourself, you know, wear your mask, do what you've got to do. But if you're concerned about leaving the house, turn it off, turn off the news, go to a part of your house, a part of your yard. Yesterday, it's hot here now in San Diego. It's been raining, which is weird for months. Yesterday, I was out front in my, in my chair, you know, just like <laughs> I felt like a homeless guy just put a chair out in front of my house. And because it was hot, neighbors were walking by, you know, 20, 30 feet away, and I'm just waving at them. And I have my dogs next to me. And I haven't been out and done that in uh, five weeks. I've kind yeah. of been in the fence, in the house, you know. I got a, I've got a um, uh, county television network coming over to my house tomorrow. We're going to film something. We're going to do it outside, you know, social distancing. And I'm doing this with you today. I can't tell you, Joanne, how excited <laughs> I was. And I don't know you yet. And we're getting to know each other. And I was going to be able to talk about this today with a complete stranger who I believe has a, you know, a, a huge, hopefully a huge following. And someone might call me. And every time somebody calls I me, yeah. I, I'm going to feel better. 
Yeah. And I and hope I hope they, they and I hope I'll I'll do what I can to help them feel better. Right. And that's why I wanted to have you on as well because I wanted you to be able to let people know that you are there for them because I know a lot of people are having yep. a hard time and uh, I'm fine. I know people are having a tough time, but I'm fine. So I mean, uh, Scott is there for you. And Scott, real quick, tell me what's about the tell us about the book. Tell me no, I dare you. What what's behind that? Well, you know, a book came out in uh, 2011. It was re-edited. And the whole concept of the book, Tell Me No, I Dare You, um, is about how to get to yes. Mm. And and one, of, I have like five keys. And one of my most important keys in that book is learning how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I sell that book through my website, your, yourcrisiscoach.com. And the whole story is about my recovery People I've served over the years, people that got out of jail and prison, and, and they've been very successful. And those are one of the things I think one of my gifts is I'm able to help show somebody how to navigate a forward progress trajectory to, to reach their goals and to realize that, you know what, you can't change yesterday. Right. You cannot change yesterday. So if you're going to keep blaming everybody for everything, You'll never move yourself forward easily, and, and not that it's easy to move forward, but if you're, you know, if your past is an anchor, you're not going to go far. Right. Well, I think what you do is amazing, and uh, I have, I'm sure you've helped many, many, many people. And I'm hoping by you being on with us tonight, and I'm going to repost on Facebook about your uh, free sessions again. A lot of people may not be want to talk into the show and let people hear their personal stuff, you know. I mean, I, I know a lot of people sure. as well, and I may recognize their voice or whatever. But uh, uh, to let everybody know, again, Scott H. Silverman, Scott Silverman, he is giving away free 10-minute sessions, private sessions. You can, All you have to do is call him if you need to talk to someone, if you need help, uh any type of guidance. I mean, this guy, listen to him. He's like the man of reason here. I'm very comfortable, and he made me feel that way. And uh, I'm, I'm, thank you for that. And you can reach him at 619-993-2738. And there's also your website, Scott. It's uh, crisiscoach.com, or am I missing something? Yourcrisiscoach.com. Your if you get confused, just Google me, Scott H. Silverman, and you'll see something in my history that you can relate to, that we can relate to, and we'll start a conversation from there. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know I'm going to stay in touch with you. So, um, you know, if, if uh, please, I, I wish you nothing but the best with this, and I'm sure you're getting bombarded with calls. And, I, I, again, what you're doing is fabulous, and, and I thank you for doing that for people right now. There's a lot of good, like you said, outlets right now for people to go to that do need help in some kind of way. It's a major three things going on for first responders and I mean, which is wonderful too. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of good going on when there's a lot of bad happening, put it that way. And I think we need to talk more about the good of what's going on to help as well. That would help people as well. who are having tough, such a tough time because all they hear is bad. It's all bad, you know? So nope. anyway, Scott, thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say good night? Well, I just, uh, you know, and thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation because reducing the stigma so people will make the phone call uh, is really important. And just encourage people to call, and I would love to come back on, and we'll spend a whole half an hour talking about nothing but what works. How's that? Right. 
Sounds fabulous. Sounds thank good. Thank you so much. Scott, thank you, honey. You have a good night. Take care. All the Thank you, Scott. No, and hang hey, in honey. there, honey. We're, we're all in this together, right? Absolutely. You betcha. All right. Take care, Scott. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. I believe we have the crazy guy that I think he's crazy because I've talked to him, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm hoping Larry's going to make us happy. Mr. Larry Hankin is on the phone. He's an actor. You know him when you see that face. You can't mistake him. I, he's fabulous. Like I'm, I love him. He's so funny. Larry Hankin, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm fine. I'm not that funny, but thank you. Oh, very come much. on. Well, you make me laugh. I'm, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a tough okay. guy. I'm a tough critic. I used, to be a, I used to be a stand up comedian, and I stopped uh, having them introduce me as, hey, here's one of the funniest guys in the world, and you're dead from then on in. So <laughs> I just said, introduce me as Larry Hankin, okay? I'll take care of the rest. Word oh, well, okay. Right, right. But well, how are you doing? Good, good, honey. I was just going to ask you how you were doing with all this craziness going on. Not that uh, that's why we're talking. Um, but, I uh, pretty much ignore it. I, I use it as a great time for uh, uh, my writing. So uh, I pretty much ignore it. I, I stay in the house most of the time writing anyway, so it doesn't really bother me. When I go yeah, out, I try yeah. to stay alive. But right, that's, right. that's about it. Exactly. That's why I said it's kind of not phasing me too much, other than the aspect that I have to work from home now. But I am enjoying the time well, home. I'm getting I'm getting things done that I thought yeah, I haven't done in a long go. time. I'm writing as well. I'm doing that too, and we're we're working on getting the show to be better and a better website. So, I mean, we're busy, you know. And uh, you know, I heard I heard things. something very interesting. Uh, yeah. Just uh, as I was uh, driving, uh, I just went out to get some uh, some food, uh, mm-hmm. and I uh, came. Uh, but I was listening to the radio, and I heard. A great a comment by one of the uh, people on the radio. Uh, that she said <laughs> that um, they were. St- she has a family, uh, and she said she was living. They've been living together for five years, and uh, I guess there's four people: two kids and a, a man and a wife. And she said they were living in the house for five years, and they've never ever really lived together until right. the coronavirus hit, and it's a whole <laughs> different life. They they didn't realize that living together is not like living together. You know what I'm right. saying? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So she was totally blown away by, oh, this is what it's like living with people, your family, people you know and grow with. But when they're 24 hours, that that's kind of cool. I mean, weirdly cool. Not not cool, cool, but 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 weird. But it's a, just an adjustment, and then then there's the, the coronavirus in itself, which is a whole other deal. But just living right. with the same people who you've known for all your life or their lives, the kids' lives, totally different. So that, that's an yeah. amazing thing, and I guess we're going right. to be going through that for a while. Yeah, yeah, who knows? I, hopefully not forever, but, you know, I mean, and hopefully well, it doesn't yeah, bring yeah. people closer, the family closer with spending more family time, you know. So but I, I was just say, listening to Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, you go, go. Well, I was, just to, I was just listening to you the last couple of minutes of your show. And uh, what the guy said was really terrific. He said, you know, if you're living with an anchor in the past, you're not going to get very far. So, you know, I, the past is the past. And right. uh, the normal of the past is the normal of the past. I, that's over with. 
I'm I'm right. I'm looking ahead, so I don't right. even look back to what normal is because right. my life has never been normal ever. Right, and and <laughs> what is normal? To be honest, right? What exactly. is normal? Exactly. You know? Yeah. You know, but uh, well, well uh, my my parents had a, what they considered defined as as normal, and that was very weird to me. You know, so <laughs> go talk about normal. Right. Well, I wanted to talk about your uh, your acting and and your other work that you do. I mean, honestly, I had no idea yeah. you were in so many so many amazing pictures. You're big names too, because I, I only know you from Friends and Seinfeld. And you know what? You're one of those actors that you're such a good character actor that you fit in perfectly, and you don't even seem like you're acting. You know what I mean? That's a good actor to me. Well, I don't. When, that's the, the, when, <laughs> that's well, the trick. Well, a great actor to me is somebody I could sit and watch and say, you know what, I believe that person, and that, that's not acting. You know what well, I mean? Well, good. They're, I got a like, couple of things I can sell you that uh, – <laughs> <laughs> A so, couple of things, right? Don't take it too far. Well, no, a lot of people ahead. take that as real. I mean, they, you know, they think they know me because I'm in their – living room on on their television they watch me you know whenever they watch me so they assume that that's the guy but i'm not that guy at all so in a way i guess i'm a really good actor right 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 anybody ever call you mr heckles when they see you (laughs) oh totally i mean that's uh i'm i i know i'm going to be really a good actor when nobody knows who mr heckles is anymore you know it's like this the the Reeves, uh, you know, the Superman uh, vibe. Mr. You, you yeah. remember, remember what happened to Mr. Reeves with Superman. You know, everybody knew him as Superman. He couldn't get another job. Yeah, so, so I started with That's like why that. I like to diversify. Like you know. Right, right. Now, I got to ask you about this. You were in Malcolm in the Middle and did Breaking Bad. So did you and yeah. Brian Cranston, are you tight? I mean, did he get you in there or what? Or you just, you got it yourself? Um, right? No. We're, well, we're not, I'm not tight with anybody. I don't, I mean, uh, I'm talking about show business. I, I'm, I'm not yeah. a show business person, but I didn't even remember that I did uh, Malcolm in the Middle with Brian Cranston. And then, and then when I met him, uh, in uh, Breaking Bad, I I didn't uh, re- remember that at all. It never came up until somebody said or said to both of us, "Oh yeah, right. you were in Malcolm in the Middle together." But you know, talk about acting—that's quite—that's quite a leap for for yeah. Mr. Cranston, you know, to go yeah, from Malcolm yeah. in the Middle, you know, the the dad to a great iconic. Character, you know. There you go. Uh, Another great actor. Another great actor. Oh, you know. oh man, he's the he's one of the best. He's one of my right. idols. But right. you know, uh, we we got along. Uh, he he respected my my work, but you know, I got on his bad side. I I generally do. If I talk to you long enough, I'll get on your bad side too. So don't <laughs> worry about it. <laughs> I just always say the wrong thing. I have I'm a dyslexic. I have dyslexia. So uh, I, I generally interpret situations in three or four ways and just take a guess at, well, this should be apropos. And, right. you know, a couple of times it's not, you know, so, but you just keep on trucking. But I'm, again, I'm used to that. So to me, it's, that's normal to me. That's right. Normal. right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were acting in a, in a scene together, Brian and I, uh-huh. and, um, 
you know, I, I went up on my lines a couple of times, you know, and uh, and he was uh, he was trying to stay in character. What was what he was actually trying to do, but uh, he had an attitude. He had the 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 um, uh, Malcolm, uh, White, Mister White, kind of attitude. So I went to the uh, I, I I walked out of the scene in, in the middle, uh, which I learned to to do. <laughs> If, if you can do that, you have to be able to pull that off. You can't just walk out of a scene. That's very bad. But I did. I walked over to the director and I said, hey, um, I'm, I'm, we're, we're arguing here in the, in, in the scene because I'm going up on my lines and he's giving me attitude and I, I don't know what to do. And yeah. so the director said two great things. He said, well, one, Larry, he mentioned my name. Like They talk to me like I'm a son. you know. Well, Larry, here's two things. One is all actors go up on their lines. And, and two is, screw Brian. we got to get on with the show. Get back in there and let's, we're losing the light. So, I mean, he took the kibosh right off of it. You know, it's, what, hey, what do you mean? you're, you're, you're what do you two mean? actors. What do you mean by up on the lines? Oh, you, you forget your lines. You, you just forget your lines. You go up. You, oh, you, you oh, forget okay. your lines. Oh, okay. You forget the next exactly. line. You know, and yeah. there's nobody around to cue you, which is, you know, on stage production, there's also, you know, somebody to cue you. But no, there, there isn't. You just stop the scene and go over again. Or, or sometimes people ad lib through it. Right. But, yeah, there's no uh, cue cards. Brian, no cue cards. This is all script. This is not cue cards. Um, it's all memory. It's all memory. Well, right. sometimes you can, you can ad lib, but Brian is really one of those actors. And, and you know, good for him. He, he, sticks, to the, he sticks to the script. Yeah. So I was sticking to the script and I just went up three times and went up three times. Mm-hmm. But after the, and because I know I'm dyslexic, um, when I make a mistake, um, it's very hard for me to correct it because I don't know if what I'm interpreting, he's telling me is the thing that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So I have to make a lot of choices, you know, in, in an instant, you know, so it's, as Larry, yeah. as an actor, as an actor, how has that hindered your career being dyslexic? I mean, it must be very hard. Well, because I can't take, um, because I can't take uh, parts that have very long speeches uh, 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 or very big. I can't. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Um, well, it's not that I can't. Um, to explain it is. In generally in my contract or when when we sign up and say hey you got the role then the next thing is okay Larry has to get the script first or, mm. or among the first in other words he got to, mm. has to get it early it's not like I don't have a memory I can mm. memorize it but I need time and what he did and that what what um, Gilligan did because he saw my audition tape and that's why I was hired it was because of Vince. Uh, Vince thought I was a really cool actor, which great. You know, I, I was good in my inter, in my in my audition. Uh, so I got the part, and the part actually was only five lines. That that was the part that I was hired to do. Uh, and so I remember all these five lines. That's really cool. Uh, oh. But I uh, uh, well, I got to get rid of. Well, I, I'm not going to even answer it. Um, so I I. I got the, the part and it was only five lines so I could uh, memorize that really easy. But when I got to the set, um, they had given me a full page speech and I, I just went nuts. I mean, I, uh, I'm like, well, what's, what is this? What is this? What is this? And it's all, uh, Vince, 
Vince thought you were such a good actor. He, he, you know, had some writers uh, write you up a really good, good long speech. Nice. And I thought, no, I need this like two days in advance. No, mm. no, no. Mm. So I ad libbed the whole thing, uh, and frankly, it worked. So oh, good, good, <laughs> good. I wanted to ask you if they did a friends reunion, would you you have no qualms against well, that? Would you? They, they called me about that, but I think because uh-huh. of the the virus thing, it was called off. I got the call, and they said. Hey, sometime in the end of April or the beginning of May, they're going to shoot the uh, the reunion. And I said, "Great, I'm I'm available." So they say, "Okay, keep that window open." And right. I never heard from them again. So they could, yeah. they're definitely considering doing one, though. <clears throat> well, if they if they're doing one, I'm going to be in it. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, I, I would volunteer. I would be. I would. I would be available to be in it if they invited me. And they did invite right. me. It just never happened. Right. Good, good. Well, hopefully, you know, once this is all over, everything, uh, you know, is back on track in regard to that. So so now, nowadays, what I know since we're all stuck in the house, you're writing, you're producing and directing as well. What, what have we seen recently that you may have written or directed uh, before everything shut down, I guess? Or Well, before <laughs> everything shut down, I was locked in my house writing a screenplay, so it didn't affect me at all, because when right. I write, I just, I write. I lock myself in because uh, of a lot of different things, you know, and friends want to have a you know, meeting or a dinner or a party or go somewhere or come over or whatever, and I, I, I tend to lose track of time if I'm doing something else. So I, I just lock myself in. And so I was sequestered in place long before the virus hit. And right. then, so they said, don't leave the house. And I, well, I wasn't leaving the house, so it didn't affect <laughs> me. The only oh. thing was I got a mask and gloves. So when I do go out to, to shop, right. um, I, I put on the mask. <laughs> so funny. It's like I put on a mask and I put on gloves and then I put on a jacket and then I put on dark glasses because I, mm. I also very sensitive to the sun. So when I go out, it looks like a city of thieves out there. You know, I could rob right. anybody. I mean, anybody could rob me. And you can't happy. identify anybody. Are you, are you enjoying so the are you enjoying the anonymity of walk, just being able to walk around and nobody knows it's you since you have a mask on and then people can only see your eyes? How are you enjoying life? Um, well, it's really weird. When I was in, in the supermarket the other day, uh, somebody said, hey, man, I really enjoy your work. And I go, how does he recognize me? <laughs> I've got a mask on. i got gloves on. I didn't have my glasses on, but still the mask is, you know, up to your, you know, almost right, to your right. eyes. Right. But that was so weird. So I, and you know, if anybody else had a mask, I wouldn't recognize my own friends if they had a mask on and you know and all that stuff. So I don't know how they people do it, but but yeah, they recognize it. But on the other hand, sometimes they they don't recognize. Them. I'm not one of those people, and and I don't I'm not I don't foster it. I would so recognize it's, it's you if cool. I was walking down. I would recognize you if I was walking down the street. Absolutely. Well, some people do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but sometimes uh, not with a mask. the timing is not with a mask. I would never well, recognize you know, with a mask. Uh, <laughs> but but sometimes they they uh, they do recognize me, but it's poor timing. Like I'm if I'm eating a sandwich and they <laughs> come yeah. over and hey, right. do you mind talking to me? Or 
So in the men's training and stuff like that. And sometimes in in a personal conversation and, you know, so there's there's a good and a bad time for it, but it's it's part of the territory. See, it doesn't, I'm not not angry about it or it doesn't get me upset. It's just, whoops, this is bad timing. Could you just wait a while or, you know, I mean, people are, people are cool. Yeah. Are you still tight with any of the folks from Seinfeld or friends or, you know, keep in no, touch? No, I mean, I, I, I'm not an actor. I, I never wanted to be an actor. Um, I fell into it. I mean, it's a long story. But, oh, yeah, but, well, uh, I just give, fell into it. Give us a Reader's Digest version. Dad, what happened here? What okay, were well. What were you doing? How did it I, happen? Well, I never wanted to do or be anything. I, I always lived in the now. I I I, uh, I mean so that that uh, Baba Ramda stuff and the LSD stuff it 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 doesn't really apply anymore. Like you know, be here now. Um, yeah, but what about the rent that comes at the end of the month? How in the now are you about that? You know, it's, right. I mean things like that. Right. So you gotta cut it short at some point and and think yeah. about the future, which I never did. Until mm. I was into my 30s. So I just lived for the moment and I got jobs as people asked me. Or if I ran out of a job, I'd go and, until the money ran out and then I'd go get another job. Mm. Or, you know, and then that was my job. Getting a job was my job. Right. And so I was in the now that way. So mm. and then I got a job and blah, blah, blah. I mean, when I graduated college, I got a, 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 a degree in industrial design. I mean, I was an A student. But as soon as I got out of there, and I was thrown out of college a couple of times because I would use things different and just mouth off at the teachers if I didn't, blah, blah, blah. And I always got back in. Somehow they let me back in. But when I graduated, <laughs> I just put that aside. And my, my best friend in college was Carl Gottlieb. I don't know if you know who that is, yeah, but you know, do know what he's yeah. done. Mm-hmm. You know who he is? I, I've, know seen his name, I've seen his name in credits on on TV and yeah. Okay, yeah. he wrote all the Jaws movies for, yeah. for starters, so mm. he's kind of cool guy. So yeah. he said to me, "Let's uh, let's not let's go to Greenwich Village and let's be roommates." So I just eschewed my industrial design, uh, going to uh, uh, General Motors and designing cars for the future, which was when, a lot when, of money. But I met. Was that be- well, you, yeah, met him, right. you, you met him before Jaws and everything? No, we were, were... In, we were in college together. We would have okay, so I was no, an industrial he designer and he was in the writing. So he didn't blow up yet. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so he, he was just a guy who wanted to write movies. That's what he wanted yeah. to do, and he was reviewing right. movies. So we, we graduated. Uh, I got my degree. He got his degree. And then we went to uh, Greenwich Village, and he decided to review movies and try to get to write scripts and, you know, become what he became. Right. I, in, in turn, was his roommate in Greenwich Village, but I don't want to be an industrial designer. I turned down a, a lot of money, and what I did was I uh, swabbed duckboards in a bar uh, after 2 a.m. From 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., I cleaned bars. Mm-hmm. So, And I loved it. I loved right. it because it was in the now, and I wasn't doing what my parents wanted me to be or do or have or and whatever. And, and, uh, and so they disinherited me. So that was cool. That was a they had to cut those ties, and uh, so I starved for a while. But he was making money, and he would he would feed me by stealing uh, food from the uh, 
when he reviewed movies, they always fed the, the reviewers, you know, and gave him some wine before going in. So he got a pocket full of, uh, you know, shrimp or something in a, in a linen, you know, napkin, put it in his suit pocket and he'd bring it home. And that was my dinner. And then he stopped doing that after a while because uh, his suit started to smell from shrimp and fish. So he didn't do that. So meanwhile, I was going to uh, open mic, mic nights in the village because I had a lot of free time and not much mm-hmm. money. And I was watching these comedians on the stage. And I was thinking, hey, I can do that. I'm a funny guy. I, you know, I was funny in high school and college. So I started to do stand-up. I was very, very bad in the beginning. I mean, you know, god-awful bad. But mm-hmm. thank God Monday night audiences didn't boo. They just didn't laugh. They were very polite. But I kept it up for some reason. I said, well, I can be better. I can be better. I remember I was funny. I was funny at one time. And then about six months later, I was opening for Woody Allen and Miles Davis and the Kingston Trio. And I was making money. And, uh, hey, it was really cool. But I was in the Lenny Bruce, uh, Richie Pryor, George Carlin bag. And uh, people were coming at me and cops were uh, pulling me off the stage and coming at me with beer bottles and trying to fight me and stuff. So I called my manager and I said, hey, man, I, I'm a just a middle-class Jewish kid. I, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm just talking about what I see. I mean, I wasn't even doing drugs at the time, so that really peed me off. Because, you know, if I was doing drugs and doing this drug comedy, okay, I could understand it because of the you know Johnson administration and stuff. For drugs, you could get five, ten years for one marijuana cigarette back in the day. Mm-hmm. So I didn't understand that at all. I called my manager and I said, hey, man, the cops are pulling me off the stage. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And he said, look, that's what's going on. Uh, and if you can't you know, stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Why don't you join mm-hmm. Second City? They're mm-hmm. doing the same material, but they own the theater. So they throw the people out, not the comedians. So right. I said, okay. So I joined Second City, and from there, a couple of us uh, quit and went to San Francisco to uh, start the committee, and that was very successful. We were uh, kind of in competition with Second City, mm-hmm. and luckily in San Francisco, it was only in them days, in the 60s, it was only uh, $35 round trip to fly from L.A. to San Francisco. So all the heavy hitters from uh Hollywood, all the producers and the directors were flying up to catch, you know, a second city type show, but right in the neighborhood, you know, and they would fly up in San Francisco, spend the night and then they go back. So we actually were auditioning in our own show for some of the people who we couldn't get near if we went to Hollywood. I mean, you know, like Laverne, uh, uh, you know, Penny Marshall got me to, you know, she flew up. She said, hey, there's a funny tall guy in that show. Get him down here. I want him in my show, you know. So we did. I did Laverne and Shirley. And I did all these sitcoms because they were flying up. The directors would see us. And they were hiring all of us. And very slowly but surely, we all started to move down. I was the last one to go because I really loved improv. And I loved San Francisco. And I didn't want to be an actor. I, I wanted to be there doing right. improv right. but everybody in the show including the director went down to hollywood so i finally you know okay i hung out for about a year but it wasn't it wasn't working so i went down there and i slept on carl gottlieb's couch for about two or three weeks and then his wife threw me out 
So <laughs> I was couch surfing for a while. And, um, yeah, you know, fish and relatives and guests, you know, kind of get old after a while. So um, I started to get work and I got my own place. And then I was an actor, but not because I wanted to be an actor, because I just, you know, I was living in the now. I was about 30 or something. And uh, so I just, uh, okay, this is what's going on here. So I'll be an actor. Okay. So it was the money and, and uh, that was it. I could pay the rent by doing that. And then that guy kind of, kind of old so I was writing my own uh, when I did Escape from Alcatraz I wrote Sally's Diner oh. and that got an Academy Award nomination so I yeah. go holy cow this is cool man I mean I didn't right. even think it was good enough to get that I, I was kind of you know saying no no don't hand it in don't hand it in and he goes and the, the, the cinematographer who wanted the credit said no we got to hand it in so we had a big fight about it mm. and he, he kind of won because what he did was he handed it in against my, my wishes. I said, don't hand it in. It's right. not good enough. And he said, so he said, okay, I won't. And then about three weeks later, he called me back. He said, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, well, what's the bad news? He says, well, against your wishes, I handed it in. I said, you know, God damn, don't, don't do that, man. Why did you do that? I, what the hell is the good news? And he said, well, it got accepted. We're up for a nomination. Oh. Well, that's okay, exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'll let you go this time. <laughs> You're good with that, yeah, exactly. Well, you yeah, know okay, people, okay. You never know so what people started... are going to like, you know, you're never going to know what people right. are going to like, and as a writer or any kind of artist, you never know when to put it down, because you never think it's good enough, so it's better to let somebody exactly, else, yeah. you know. So then, so, um, so then I started making film shorts, you know, so then I was just doing, um, uh, acting to get money to make film shorts. So mm-hmm. that's what I was doing for a long time. And then far, finally, when I did uh, Breaking Bad, um, and I got into this this little tiff with Brian. Now, I've met him since then, and, and we're total friends. I mean, he doesn't even remember that. I mean, it was in my head that all this, you know, bull was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the time, I, I was really, uh, he got into my head. That, that that episode of, you know, going up on my lines and right. he didn't like me and, oh, wow. So right. um, I quit. I, I, I just quit uh, acting. I called up about, about three days after that, uh, that, that yeah. show uh, with, with, with the, um, with the, with the, um, with the, with the magnet. Yeah. The magnet show. Uh, about three days later after the magnet show, I, I called my agent. I said, okay, uh, that's it for acting. I'm out. And I just, uh, and I'd saved up uh, a lot of money at the time. So I was doing for about three or four years, I was just doing film shorts. A lot of them went around the world, uh, Outlaw Emmett Demas. Uh, uh, I did three of those and they got a lot of awards and stuff. And then I was just hanging for about a, a year trying to learn how to make movies uh, and, and write features. And then, um, I don't know, five years go by and uh, I'm writing this screenplay that I'm, you know, that then the coronavirus happened. So, it, uh, frankly, uh, looking back on it all, my, my acting career, uh, Hollywood is, the the majors anyway, are really like my parents. And I didn't get along with my parents and I didn't get along with Hollywood. Uh, they, they just, um, you know, I'm I'm really... Richard Pryor, George Carlin, 
Lenny Bruce. That's who I am. I mean, and what I like, not that I'm as good as they are, but you know, maybe I am. Maybe I am. That that's a, that's not the point. The point is, I didn't like what what they wanted me to do after a while, and then this whole thing about getting the script ahead and learning the lines it was just such a such a traumatic uh, I mean I, I learned the lines I, I never went into a part that I didn't know the lines mm-hmm. uh, all actors go up on their lines that's just normal but no right. I, I just didn't like the effort of, of that I had to put into learning the lines the, the effort right. uh, by the time I showed up I was cool but the yeah. effort at home I mean for uh, for about a week before any job, I, I just had to forget my friends, and and that was that's that's kind of hard, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, but I would rather. And then the other thing was, as long as I'm going to spend a week away from my friends, you know, studying, I might as well study something that I want to do, not something that they want me to do. Right. And as far as they wanted me to do. They want me to do a lot, so I guess I do have talent. So let me plug it in, see what I can come up with. Nice. So that's what I was doing. I was doing one-man shows for a while. Uh, that's the other thing I was doing while I was, you know, for the five years. So about 2013 till 2018, I guess. I was doing one-man shows and stand-up. Mm-hmm. You know, just just hanging. It was just doing stuff I wanted to do. It was, it was great, and I'm still doing it. So good, that's good. kind of my show business good. thing. Good, excellent. So if anybody, oh, was... oh, well, can I add one more thing just before you? Ask yes, question? absolutely. One more thing. Absolutely. Okay, one more thing. So one of the things I decided to do because mm. um, I, I also paint in my spare time. I, I do prints mm. and stuff. I mean, you oh, know, really. I saw. Oh, you posted something. It was. Uh, it was amazing. Right. Okay. I, when I saw well, you signed I, it, I was I, like, "Oh my god, he did that." It was cool. Yeah. So I do a lot of those. I've got about forty or fifty of them. You know, over over the years. So anyway, mm. what I did was I opened a website. I got a website up now. It's called the Real Larry Hankin. Not Larry cool. Hankin, because somebody stole that, and they're trying to sell it to me, and I refuse to. They wow. stole it. So it's the real com, and if you go there, you can see all my paintings. But a lot of people would call me and say, hey, man, I would love to get a T-shirt of one of your paintings. Could you do that? So that's what I just did. So right now, cool. in about three weeks, you're going to be able to buy any of my paintings as a T-shirt. I wear them. They're great, man. I got to tell you. They're so That's a cool good idea. Because they're paintings. Yeah. Oh, yes, because they're paintings. They're not T-shirt art. It's not T-shirt art. It's art right. art. It's paintings. Right. It's really great. So that's, okay, so now you can ask the questions. I just well, want to add that. The, the real Larry Well, now that you're um, saying that, I mean, are you actually painting these shirts? Or no, they're paintings printed on the shirt. No, no, no. I, what I do is I, I, I do drawings, hand drawings, and then I blow them up. To, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I blow them up, and then I uh, put them into my computer, and then mm-hmm. I paint with, uh, with computer paints. Oh, and then cool. uh, they're blown up to about like four feet by, by, by four feet, and they're about $500 a piece. So yeah. they really are beautiful, and they're, they're, they're realistic. They're not you know, abstract. They're, they're, they're cool. 
their portraits and their landscapes and stuff. Uh, but then when people started calling me, because when you look at them on your internet screen, you know, they're small. And then I started to print them on t-shirts on my internet, on my, uh, computer. I would, I would put the paintings on a t-shirt. I print a t-shirt and then I put the painting, you know, on the chest or on the back. And I would look at it and go, holy cow. And then I ordered a couple. I just, you know, I just ordered one, just a one-off. And I'd wear it, and people go, hey, man, that's cool. And I go, okay, yeah. let me try another one. So I put a – and the, the important thing is because they're paintings, the, uh, the, the, the transfer onto a T-shirt has to be the exact colors. And that took a long time for me to get the right people to do it because they don't mm-hmm. care. You know, T-shirts, well, what the hell? You know, it's just your, your team or your name or, you know, just a – but, nice. no, my paintings have to be like my paintings on a T-shirt. But I don't paint on a T-shirt. They're, right, they're right. printed on the T-shirt. And this really right. looks cool, man. It really does. Cool. I, I, I'm i going to check yeah. the site out and see what they uh, look like. Uh, I can't wait because I saw you, po- you posted uh, – yeah. you posted uh, – it looked like um, – was it Trump with uh, a lot of different sayings and stuff around it? Uh, it was a lot oh, of no, no, that's my Facebook. That, that's my Facebook page. That ah. I just put. I, I rant on it. <laughs> I put my paintings up there. So there's like maybe forty or fifty. If you scroll down on my wall, there's like everyone's. Yeah. I put a new painting up about every four or five days. So oh, there's a nice. hundred of them up there, you know. Yeah, uh, but you got to scroll and scroll and scroll. I definitely yeah, want to check it out. Saw. Definitely want to check it out. Well, Larry, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time talking to you. You are amazing, my friend. You are just oh, amazing. You. you are. And it's an absolute pleasure talking to you. And also, oh, you're pretty cool, tonight. too, you know. <laughs> well, hey, you know, we try. You know, we try. Right, John? You know? <laughs> That's right. We <laughs> well, try. <laughs> me, me, too. Me, too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. You. A lot of our, a lot of our guests they they like coming on the show because it's it's relaxed. You know, we're just having we're just yeah. hanging out yeah. having a conversation. You know what I mean? It's not like no Barbara exactly. Walters here. We're just having a conversation. That's it. You know. So. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. But well, thank you very much, Joanne. Well, Larry, thank you. Good luck. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy. Okay. I'm gonna let everybody know about your t-shirts where they can find them. The real Larry I'm going to post that on Stop. Facebook for you. What, hon? Yes. Okay. I don't, Thank you. I thought I, don't, I don't heard somebody yell something. Sorry. <laughs> well, Larry, thank you so thank much. You. Take care. Stay safe. Okay. Stay Take care, Joanne. Take care. All right, Scott. Honey. See you later. John, John. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you guys so much. We, that was uh, a, a good conversation tonight. You know what, John? We should do a night where people could just call and talk about whatever the hell they want. Sounds like a good idea. What do you think? You I think, think I'm it's good. Sure. I think I'll get a lot of I, uh, a lot of calls, people yelling and cursing at me. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> they, they might. They might yell at you. Oh, I don't mind. I don't mind. I can take it. Dish it out, baby. I can take it. I can dish it out, too. But anyway, yes, thank you to Scott Silverman. He's a crisis coach and a family negotiator, and he is offering free, free personal 10-minute uh, sessions during this crisis uh, of corona. If you guys need help, give him a call at 619-993-2738. 
and Mr. Larry Hankin, what a great guy. Um, I always enjoy seeing him on Friends and Seinfeld, and like I say, he's such a great character actor. I could just picture now speaking to him all the things he's been in and never even realized it was him. So he sells his paintings. He's an excellent artist, and uh, he sells them at reallarryhankin.com. And there are paintings on T-shirts. And if you check the website, you can see he does some really amazing stuff. So he's very talented. Uh, thank you to our guests, our sponsors, the High Barn Bistro in Garfield, New Jersey, Precious Memory Video in Kittnersville, Pennsylvania, KWV Wines in South Africa, and Tees for the Times in Clifton, New Jersey. So, Johnny Boy, you're off for quiet tonight. What's up? I'm tired, Joanne. I'm tired of the rain, and I'm just tired of the cold weather. I want spring to come. I want to see the sun. Me too. uh, too. It gets depressing after a while, so. I know, honey. What are we going to do? You know? Yeah. uh, Like they say, as always, tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. The sun will come out tomorrow. I'll meet you for the calendar because I know you're going to say, who's on Wednesday, Joanne, and I won't be ready. Joanne, who's on Who's on Sunday? Is it Sunday oh, or Wednesday? Uh, it Wednesday. Is, it's Thanksgiving. It's going to be Thanksgiving. Yeah. I get yeah, confused because yeah. Sunday, Wednesdays and Sundays at Carvel, so I'm always confused with that. I know, I know, I know. Wednesdays and Sunday at Carvel. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> We have um, next week uh, on the 29th, Wednesday at 8 o'clock, Norman Fox from the Rob Roy's. What do you think of that? And Henry Gross. That sounds good. Yeah, and Henry Gross. That's going to be fabulous, too. I can't wait to talk to the guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, what do you think, John? Should we put that out there? Put a night out just to chat? I think so. I think we should have uh, people who were on the show uh, way back when just call in and say hello. Yeah. I think that it would be, that might an be an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's do that. We'll have to pick a day. What's good for you? I I would think maybe a Sunday would be good for that. And then do the show too. Well, we could like hold it over. We can go ninety minutes. Oh, oh, okay, and do extra time. Yeah, because we are. Uh, yeah. We're we're booked already. For yeah. Yeah, for a minute. Go over. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we can right, go over half an hour. Yeah, well, you uh, we'll talk about that. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, honey. Well, listen, I got to jump on a call. Uh, I I'll. All right. You know, I usually talk to you after, but um, I got to run. But uh, thank you, everybody, and uh, be safe out there. Stay home, and uh, we'll, everything is going to be okay. Hang in there. So, thank you all. Thank you, Johnny boy. Have a good night, honey. All right. Get good night, everybody. Good night. Take care.